Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside Matt Eddy. Hello, Kyle. Matt, we're almost, we're roughly 50 games into the Major League season, just under a third of the season. And uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the early trends we're seeing we're seeing some teams we expected to contend really run away from the pack, particularly in the American League. On the National League side, we're seeing some teams we expected to contend. None of them would be in the playoffs if they started today. But there's still a lot of time left. Wanted to play a little uh, what's real, what's not with you here. Uh, first and foremost, I think the most impressive thing has been what we've seen out of the American League, just how top-heavy it is. I think everyone expected the Red Sox and Yankees to be two of the best teams in the American League. But the Red Sox right now are on pace for a 112-win season. The Yankees right now are on pace for a 109-win season. We know these teams are good. Are they that good? How much of a correction do you think we can we should expect? Like, Where do you see these teams ending up over the long term of this season? Uh, they definitely look like 100-win seasons, Yankees and Red Sox. And I would throw the Astros in there as well, probably the of the American League right By the now. way, 104 wins for the Astros. Most years, that's the most in baseball. <laughs> this year, it's third most. Yeah, I actually looked at this a little bit during the week. The, those three teams, Red Sox, Yankees, Astros, are on pace for more than 200 runs uh, to the better in terms of runs scored and runs allowed. Uh, I could find one season in the expansion era that had three teams at plus 200 for the season. Now, these teams are closer to 300 right now. <laughs> I think they're going to level off a little bit. You know, maybe the Astros will maintain. The last time it happened, 1998, an expansion year in which the Braves, Astros, and Yankees did it. And those three teams all won between 102 and the Yankees had the 114-win year. And you mentioned there was expansion teams. The Rays were an expansion team. The Yankees got to beat up on. You know, the Braves were able, even though they weren't in the same division, they got their handful of games against the Diamondbacks. I think what's so interesting to me is is you mentioned, you know, the run differential. Like, there is a reality to this. Both these teams, you look at their lineups top to bottom, mm-hmm. there's threats one to nine. Rotation, particularly in the case of the Astros, it's pretty solid. Um, there is kind of one exception, though, and this is where I wonder which one is real. So the Astros, first in ERA, fifth in runs in the majors, it's real. The Red Sox, second in runs, you know, top ten in ERA, they're ninth-ish. They're, you know, it's real. The Yankees lead the majors in runs scored, but they're 15th in starters ERA, 12th in ERA overall. And we just saw yesterday they lost a game 12 to 10. CC Sabathia got hit around. The bullpen has not been as dominant as we've seen in years past. Um, you know, Dellen Batanzas' issues continue. So it's interesting. I do expect the Red Sox to continue doing what they're doing. I do expect the Astros to continue what they're doing what they're doing. The Yankees have the resources to go out and make a trade if they need another pitcher. But I kind of think as incredible as their offense is, and we've seen what Glaber Torres and Miguel Andahar have done as rookies to supplement it, over the course of the season, there are going to be you know some rough games like we saw yesterday. They lost 12-10, and especially in the postseason where we saw you took this offense out of Yankee Stadium. It was a very different quality of offense. And 
I don't know. I mean, how much do you believe in the Yankees pitching and their ability to sustain, you know, even if it's not 109 wins, but 100 wins and really hang with the Red Sox in the American League East Division title race? They have one, I, I believe they have 100 win talent. Like you said, the, they do need to address the rotation. Um, and obviously, pitching depth, pitching questions become more acute in the postseason. But during the regular season, to have the number one offense goes a long way because, you know, scoring runs is part of the equation of winning. I mean, Sonny Gray, 5.48 RA. Masahiro Tanaka, 4.95. I mean, those two have, have been a little bit of a drain. Jordan Montgomery's on the disabled list. So yeah. we're starting to see them need to dig in. You know, Domingo Herman, who, who's a fine enough pitcher, but probably not a guy you want starting, you know, in your rotation every five days at the major league level. He's gotten some starts. I'm just going to be curious to see how this holds up. I mean, if you told me that Sonny Gray and Masahiro Tanaka, again, were less than a third away into the season, if you were to tell me they make an adjustment and by summer they're pitching like aces again, I'd completely buy it. Tanaka, I could see that, but Sonny Gray, those peripherals are not encouraging. Getting hits and walking guys, that's it's bad the two things you don't want to do. It's a bad combination. I would expect Tanaka to, to be better if he's healthy, and Severino's a potential Cy Young winner. So there's one other team. You know, everyone is talking about the Red Sox, Yankees, Astros as these super teams going to win 100 games. There's one other team in the major leagues that is on pace to win 100 games. Can you name it? Sure. There's 27 choices. <laughs> it's the uh, Braves? No. It's the Pirates? The Milwaukee Brewers, Brewers are right. the only other team on pace to win 100 games. And it's interesting because a lot of the focus this offseason was on the addition of Christian Yelich and Lorenzo Cain and how that was going to really help them and elevate them. But that's not why they're on pace to win 100 games. The Brewers are 18th in the majors in runs, 17th in OPS. They're in the bottom half of the big leagues. They're second in the majors in ERA. The pitching staff, I feel like a lot of people were discussing it as a weak spot, a team that if they really wanted to contend, they had to address the pitching staff. But very quietly, they were one of the five best rotations in baseball last year as measured by ERA. And this year, even with the loss of Jimmy Nelson, the rotation's hanging tough. And oh, by the way, they're now getting a full season of one of the best you know, relief aces we've seen yeah. ever in Josh Hader. So it's been an interesting you know, thing for me to see you know, the Brewers have kind of elevated themselves, even with an offense that is not great, into this upper echelon of elite teams. Again, how much do you believe? I'll bring up that, bring up that roster. I... Uh... I am encouraged by what I've seen from Jesus Aguilar at first base. I think I'm starting to buy in on him. You know, they still seem a little hesitant to just say outright that he's the first baseman, but his production uh, certainly warrants more playing time, in know, my opinion. Waiver pickup, and that's one of those deals, too, where he's in the Indian system, does get the opportunity, but you see this sometimes. GMs go from one team to another. They pick up a player they liked in their old system, give him a chance, and that's what's happened here. He's had a great year. Jonathan Villar's had a bounce-back year. Yelich and Kane have been very productive. Travis Shaw continues to be uh, a great trade for them. So there is, you know, some some good things happening in the lineup, but there are weak spots. Orlando Arcia is not hitting. I, for one, have never believed he could hit, and that's kind of been my issue with him. You know, Ryan Braun has, you know, wasn't hitting great. Now he's on the DL. Same with, you know, Eric Thames had, gave you some pop, but, uh, you know, he also is on the DL. So I, I'm not as sure you buy into this offense as a juggernaut, I do think it'll end up better than 17th, 18th in the majors, though. Then you look at the staff, you know, it's not sexy, right? Zach Davies is on the DL. He was worse than he was last year. 
But Chase Anderson, I, I still think, is, is a better pitcher. He's always outperformed his peripherals, and I think there's something to him. Jolie Chassin has been a decent pitcher for a couple years now, even though, again, the peripherals aren't always great. The performance is there. Brent Suter's a perfectly suitable swingman. But again, it's this bullpen. I mean, you're talking about yeah. Jeremy Jeffries, Josh this, Hader, this, Matt Albers, by the way, and Dan yeah. Jennings have been great. That, that rotation, to me, screams over its head. I think, I think they're due for a major hit. But maybe they can weather that because they do have Freddie Peralta, Brandon Woodruff, etc., I don't know if those are your saviors, but they do have those as options. They have, they Jimmy have. Jimmy Nelson might come back at some point. They have the depth, and that's where again I think if you look over the course of the long haul, I mean, look, do I take the Yankees rotation over the Brewers rotation? Absolutely, every day of the week. But the Brewers have more depth. They have more arms they can go down and get down that I trust more. So I think it'll be interesting to see again if Davies comes back off the DL and starts pitching well. Again, maybe some of these other guys come up and help supplement. But they're in a tough division. I think yeah. what know, is incredible about this rotation is that it's what do you think the combined salary on that group is? <laughs> very, <laughs> very much. little. Very, very little. <laughs> and much. Uh, you know, again, it, it I think it's we've a lot seen of, a lot of value. And we've seen, you know, shelling out sixty seven million seventy million to mid rotation guys is not always a great bet. Hello, Alex Cobb and Lance Lynn. And when the, the Brewers have been down this road many, many times. Matt Garza, Jeff, Jeff Subban. They figured it out and that, that and you said, can get you know a you can get a four point four ERA from a guy and not have to pay him seventy million dollars. Mm-hmm. There are guys you can do that. So I, I think that to me is going to be one of the interesting storylines. As much as these super teams, is how much the Brewers can keep this up, particularly in a division with the Pirates, with the Cardinals, with the Cubs. Yeah, it's going to be a, a meat grinder. Um, but you know, speaking of the NL Central, I think before the season, everyone. I mean, pick your favorite magazine, pick your favorite broadcaster, whatever. Said, oh yeah, we'll have the Nationals, Dodgers, and Cubs all winning the divisions again. Well, if the playoffs started today, none of them would be in it. And oh, by the way, the Diamondbacks were a quote-unquote wildcard shoe-in. Their offense has completely rock, hit the rock bottom. That humidor has uh, really taken its hold. Well, they got swept in New York, too. They're getting swept by everyone recently. <laughs> 13 out of 14, right? I believe so. Yeah. And uh, the, the second-worst offense in baseball behind only the Marlins. Oh. So, funny enough, right now, the only team that was in the playoffs in the National League last year that would be back in it this year if the season ended today is the Rockies, who the team everyone expected would fall out of it. But their offense is still bad. It is very bad. So, so I, wanted I, don't, I don't want to pat yourself on the back just yet. Oh, I, I'm not I'm patting myself <laughs> on the back. There's no reason to pat myself on the back. But with the, I do want to ask, the Dodgers, the Nats, and the Cubs – of those three, which to you is most likely, do you feel like, you know, when we look up on October 1st, we'll be back in the playoffs? Like, actually, it says we'll be at top of their division, like everyone expected. Oh, the Cubs, easy. They, they've rediscovered their pitching swagger that they lost last year, and their offense is, is definitely going to be better than it's been to this point. And they could, they could even, they have more position players than they could even play. It's very, very true. You know, it's interesting. They're in fourth place in the Central, but it's four games back. You've got Milwaukee, you've got Pittsburgh, you've got St. Louis. I, you know, the Cubs are performing, you know, fourth in the majors and runs, fourth in the RA. They're just been some close games that haven't gone their way. Yep. It's interesting, though, because, and here's where I'm going to go completely different, and I could look like a fool for saying this, but I'm going to put myself out there, and whatever happens, happens. I still buy on the Dodgers, because here's the thing to me. The Nats are very, very hurt, again. 
Bryce Harper is streaky as heck. In case anyone isn't paying attention, he's been pretty terrible for the last 20 games. Uh, about uh, batting a buck 79 and striking out four times as much as he's walking. Mm-hmm. You look at the Cubs, and I think they're the best team of these three. But again, it's a meat grinder. The NL Central, it wins are going to be very difficult to come by. I look at the Dodgers, and here's what I see. I see a team, and I've, I've said this on every podcast since I joined here, Justin Turner is the heart and soul of this team. They were not going to be a great team. Whatever else they had, they were not going to be off to a great start with him not in the lineup. Since he's come back into the lineup, guess what? They've been much, much, much better. Clayton Kershaw will be back. They've got more depth coming. Mm-hmm. Losing Corey Seager is crushing. There is no question about it. But I look at this Dodgers team, and I look at the pitching depth. We've seen Walker Buehler come up and be productive. Ross Stripling has emerged as a promising starter like he was as a prospect. You've got more arms on the way than the Santanas of the world. On top of all that, you have a bullpen that was so bad early that it can't help but stabilize a little bit. Kenley Jansen has already seen some improvement. Mm-hmm. So I look at the Dodgers, and I see this is a team that st- is on, that is trending up. They're not, you know, trending down. They're not middle of the road. They're only going to get healthier, Seager aside, which is huge. And you look at the division and who they have to beat. For all the issues they've had, the Rockies are two games over 500. They can't hit, and they're in first place. The Diamondbacks, the bottom has completely dropped out. They also cannot hit. The Giants have, you know, we say, well, they've been okay. They've been okay, and they're still two games under 500. We know injuries and age are going to be an issue there. Mm-hmm. And the Padres are terrible. So, to me, I look around and I say, the best team of these teams that we're talking about is the Cubs. There's no question about it. But the team with the easiest road back is the Dodgers. Now, the Dodgers might win 84 games and win their division, and the Cubs might win 92 and somehow finish, you know, third and you know, just outside the wild card. But I, I think at the end of the day, I'm. I am going to go on a limb, and I think the Dodgers, they're starting to get their mojo back. A couple of their guys are going to be getting healthier and getting back. That's the team I actually pick. It, again, and a lot, a big part of it is the quality of the rest of their division. Yeah. I was just picking which which team is the best. I think it's clearly the Cubs. And I would agree Reg- Regardless that. of div- division dynamics. I would agree with that. You know, on the flip side, you know, we talked about the Brewers a little bit, but we do have the, you know, quote-unquote surprise teams, and we did our big rebuilding package before the year, and We've talked about it. Every year there's a team that arrives early. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, We mentioned that the A's, based on their timeline, this would be a year where maybe they started to arrive. And we've seen it a little bit. They're you know over 500. They're in the thick of things in the American League. The Braves and Phillies both accelerated a little bit. You know, The Phillies did so signing Jake Arrieta. The Braves are currently in first place. It's interesting. A lot of the credit is being given to Ozzy Albies and Ronald Acuna. As, look, they're both electric players. They both do a lot of good things. Don't they have the best offense in baseball? Uh, at one point they did. It's fallen off a little bit. But what's been more interesting to me is actually the pitching dynamic. Last year they were uh, – I wrote about this uh, last week, and this article's still up on BaseballAmerica.com. But the improvement on their pitching side in terms of where they ranked in Major League Baseball last year, this year, is a larger jump than their offensive boost. We see you know, Mike Fultonewitz and, uh, and Sean Newcomb take jumps – and, you know, it's funny. Everyone keeps crediting Albies and Acuna, Albies and Acuna, Albies and Acuna. But Newcomb and Fultonewitz have been absolutely every bit as important and every bit as impactful as those two in getting this team to where it is. Yeah, they've been good. I, the Braves' bullpen depth 
plays a big role too because Shane it allows Carl, guys, Daniel Winkler. It allows the Braves to ask less of these guys because these guys are not pitch deep kinds of pitchers because they walk everybody. So, the Bra- so I think the Braves bullpen depth and offense really, really are big factors as well. And look, they do lead the National League in runs scored. Nick Marquez is having a great year. Freddie Freeman's having a great year. Even the catching platoon of Kurt Suzuki and Tyler Flowers. So, again, I think it's kind of been a blanket, oh, look what Albies and Acuna have done. And don't get me wrong, these are two young kids who have been dynamic, although Acuna's really scuffled here the last uh, two and weeks. And Albies is probably the MVP to this point in the season of the league. Be, you can make be, a strong case. You can make the case. Um, you know, but again, let's go back to, you know, on the pitching side, this is also a team that, had to have a huge boost as mm-hmm. a staff, and they've gotten it. I'm going to be interested to see, you know, this run down the East with the Phillies, with the Nats. I mean, right now, the Phillies, they've, you know, beaten the Braves twice in a row now. Mm-hmm. What, for you, is the ultimate outcome of this National League East? Oh, that's tough. I, I might almost side with the Phillies because of, because of Arietta, because of Nola, Nick Pavetta looks to be pretty legitimate He's had now. A very, very good year. So the, I, I do like the certainty of the veteran starters, uh, veteran loosely on Nola and Pavetta, but they've they've been uh, third or fourth year major leaguers now. I yep. do take, I do see that as a value. It'll be interesting. I, I will say, I think what concern you know what's a reasonable concern is the Phillies still have more offensive holes. Um, Scott Curry has not been performing. Nick Williams has not been performing. You go back and look. I mean, Carlos Santana what? has not been a good free agent signing. Aaron Altair has had a really rough year in, in the outfield. And Hoskins is even slumping a little bit. Is, yeah. So I, I think for me, when I look at the Braves and I see a more productive offense mm-hmm. and a pitching staff that is taking that step forward, to me it is the Braves that would end up out of here. But if the Phillies were to squeak by, and I don't think you could be shocked at this point. However, the Phillies do not have something the Braves have, and that's a reliable bullpen. <laughs> that is very, very, so, very true. So there are there are holes in the he- Phillies' case. He- Hector Neris not doing it for you? <laughs> um, but this is an interesting pivot point. When you talk about how could the Phillies improve themselves, how could the Dodgers improve themselves, well, there's an easy answer for that. Trade for Manny Machado. That fills a hole for both teams. You have... An Orioles team that has to trade Machado. None of the American League teams are going to really be looking for him. So I think he's going to the National League. And I think those are probably the two best landing spots for him. Be very, very, very interesting to see. Both uh, teams have prospects to trade. That is very, very true. It'd be very interesting to see what kind of package. Because again, we've seen teams at times do give up multiple top 100 guys for a half season. Um, but we also see times where teams are a little more hesitant to give up that large of a package. So, MVP caliber player. Oh, there's no question about it. He's having Just, a fantastic year. When does this guy come on the market? You know, number one. You'd think sooner rather than later, but with the Orioles, who knows? Just in general, when has like a when is a truly MVP? Most of these guys play out their contracts and and you know seek free agent riches, which he's going to get to do anyway. <laughs> yeah. Nah, it's going to be an interesting. I think that will be one of the biggest storylines as we move now into this. You know, we're about to approach Memorial Day. That's when stereotypically teams say you know who you are and what moves you have to make after that. But here's the question. We did see Jose Quintana get traded early June last year. How soon before Manny Machado gets traded? I think it could be June, early June. I think it would make a lot of sense. I don't know if that um, fits with the Orioles' way of thinking, sensible decision-making. But 
But it would make a ton of sense because the acquiring team gets them for longer. Therefore, they get more value. Now, we've talked a little bit about both teams have prospects to trade. Who is someone, if you're, say, the Phillies, you do your best not to trade, whether it's a young major leaguer or, or a prospect? I think you would have to hang on to all your major leaguers. I guess you could consider, oh, geez, who, who would play shortstop next year if they traded Crawford? I don't know how much trade value he has right now. I mean, in theory, you could say Kingery, but shortstop is not his game. He's not doing all that great. Right. I mean, to me, look, if you're the Phillies, you hang on to Nola, you hang on to Arietta. Uh, excuse me, Nola, you hang on to Hoskins, you hang on to Pavetta. There's no question about it. You know, I think you talk about, you know, Kingery's on the affordable deal. You talk about a premier pitching prospect like Sixto Sanchez. You talk about they do have some, some more pitching depth, whether it's, you know, the Adonis Medinas, the Jojo Romeros. I mean, just where, where for you is, is the comfort line? In trading? For trading for a player of Machado's caliber, I would, I would consider all those guys on the table. Agreed. 100% agreed. I think as long as you hang on to your major league, you know, hang on to oh, Hoskins, yeah. hang on to Nola, hang on. Because the, the beauty of where the Phillies are is all of these guys are young. Even in five years, these guys are going to be young for the o- most part. Odebel Herrera, who's the most, one of the most accomplished players, is 26. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would offer, I would, this is a fantasy baseball trade, I would offer Moniac. Cornelius Randolph and Adam Paisley for my Manny Machado. Yep, there you go. That, that'll do it. Nah. But, uh, you know, look, I mean, you have to give up talent to get talent. If that means Kingery and Sixto and, you know, maybe a couple others in that top 10, I, I do think you pull the trigger. And if you're the Dodgers, you hold on to Walker Bueller. That's first and foremost. You have to at this point. You need him for your major league pitching staff. It's no longer about being a prospect. But once you get past that, you talk about the, you know, I. Finding a catcher of Kybert Reese's potential is very, 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 very difficult. I think you certainly do your best to hold on to him. But you're talking about Alex Verdugo, mm-hmm. that group of pitchers, that Mitchell White, you know, Yadier Alvarez definitely, Dennis Santana, uh, you know, what's the power hitters like DJ Peters. I think there's most of these guys in this top 10 for the Dodgers for even a half season of Machado. Now, this is not how the Dodgers operate. I'd be skeptical they would give it all up. But I, again, you hold you hold on to Bueller, no questions asked, and you do your absolute best to hold on to Ruiz. But the rest, I'm okay with it. I think for a player of that caliber, yes. And Gavin Lux has kind of had an emergent year in the Cal League. It seems like it's hard to separate the Cal League noise, but I think there's some real growth there. There is real growth, but the general consensus from the evaluators I've talked to is you're still talking about a utility player. You know, a, you know, we talk about the the scouting grades, a, a role forty guy, play some second, play some short, play some third. You know, probably a big leaguer, but more in that utility role. So I think for the Dodgers, you're going to have to send out, you know, top-level arms. You're going to have to send out, you know, young. I could, I could see Ruiz being a headliner in a trade like this. Because realistically, you're going to need him to catch in the major leagues. I mean, his timetable would dictate that he would be big league ready in 2020. Is he going to be ready to, to really take a large share of, catch, of a workload for a team that wants to compete? And that's going to be really dependent on how much he progresses. I think there is a, no question that he can stick back there, but he's continuing to work. He's still a young kid who's working on some things transit with his transitions, his footwork, but you do see all the raw abilities there. Um, you know, yes, Monty Grandal's had a really good year, but he's, you know, his contract coming up soon. I think Austin Barnes is going to be on the big league roster for a long time. It's just a matter of whether it's your everyday catcher or more of that catcher slash second baseman role that they've, you know, played around with him in. 
it'll be interesting. But I do think that if you are the Dodgers and you're serious about winning the World Series this year, knowing that Clayton Kershaw can opt out, knowing that, you know, there's there's potential, you know, Rich Hill's blister problems are getting worse and worse and worse. Knowing that also, you know, Justin Turner, once he hits the age 33, 34, that's when you start to see a decline. I mean, I think there's a case to be made that this is the Dodgers, you know, it's not their only shot. They've got a lot of young talent to build around moving forward. Mm-hmm. But if the Dodgers want to do it in 2018 and they want, you know, hey, 30 years after 1988, knowing, you know, last time that we 100% have Clayton Kershaw in our rotation with some certainty, mm-hmm. I think you take the shot. Yeah, and I, I think it's even been speculated that the Cubs could be landing spot for Machado, which that, is kind of interesting. If Addison Russell perhaps is involved. And, well, he'd have to be. And I think that's what's going to be interesting to me is exactly how the Cubs play that out because trade Russell, if theoretically lose Machado as a free agent, we've talked about the Cubs don't have a lot there in terms of minor league depth. Now, at the major league level, you can move some pieces, make Javier Baez your everyday shortstop, and yeah. Ian Happ your everyday second baseman. So you can, yeah. you can move it around. Yeah, you just have, have to try. They have Zobrist, you David, David Boat, breakout, breakout AAA player, David Boat. It's true. So there's definitely some options there. I think you just have to have complete faith in Javier Baez's ability to stay stand at shortstop over the long term. And yeah. he probably can, but you just have to really, really believe it. Just again, there's no guarantee once you sign Manny Machado, he resigns with you. No, not by not by any stretch. It's going to be an interesting summer. I think you know there's been a lot of talk about the tanking teams, and rightfully so. There's never been more than two 110 loss teams in the same season in since uh, the 1962 expansion. Right now we're on pace, so we're pushing we're pushing three, so we might have a record breaking amount. But by the same token, we also have a lot of teams in contention. You know, we talked about you could you could argue, you know, the, let's the, put the tankers on blast. Who are these 110 lost teams? Orioles, Royals, Reds, right now, and the White Sox. I mean, those four right now are all going to be pushing 110 losses. You know, maybe you know one or two of them is at 108 right now, but they've all been hanging around there. It, it's a lot of. Uh, to be fair, though, the Orioles didn't enter the year technically tanking. Correct. I mean, they, they tried. <laughs> they, 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 they signed Andrew Cashman. They signed Alex Cobb. They, the Orioles just – and that's okay. You know, there are times where the best laid plans fall apart, yeah. and that happens. It's tough to put the Orioles on blast. Now, you can argue they weren't smart about how they went about it, but they at least tried. Mm-hmm. The White Sox and Royals made no bones about it, and I think the Reds, they're just a disaster. I, I You know, we talk about – rebuilding teams and if you can see the window for them opening up you can see the window for the white Sox in two years now it could also fall apart but you can at least see it Mm -hmm. the royals are a long 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 way away you understand that you just say check back in in four years Mm -hmm. the reds are now in the fifth season of this rebuild it doesn't look any better than it did three years ago you know, and I wrote about it a little bit when it came out to Louisville, you know, Robert Stevenson and Cody Reed were supposed to be in the you look at the rotation triple A Louisville. Robert Stevenson, Cody Reed, Brandon Finnegan. That was supposed to be your Cincinnati rotation. It's your Louisville rotation. Oh, and by the way, they're not pitching that well for Louisville. We know all about, you know, their struggles to develop pitching prospects. And that's the thing for me that's concerning is I believe in Nick Senzo. I believe in Taylor Trammell. 
I like Eugenio Suarez. I like Scott Shevley. If you believe that all the, you know, that Senzel and Tremel click, they're still a 72 win team. They just don't have the pitching. They don't have the pitcher development apparatus. And that's been, you know, they had this great run where they successfully developed Cueto and Leak and to a degree Homer Bailey, although injuries hit. He still had a nice little run of two, three years. But all those guys have been the majors since 2009. We're approaching 10 years since they've successfully developed a homegrown pitcher or successfully acquired a pitcher who was promising when young and helped him develop into that next level, such as the Cody Reed. The development seems to stall when you become a Cincinnati Red, and it's been that way for a decade. If they don't fix that, this is going to be that perennial rebuild. I mean, this is going to sound uh, its going to sound kind of, kind of a weird comparison, but I'm reading Sun Tzu's Art of War, so uh, bear with me. The, the more protracted the campaign, the less likely it is to succeed. And we've seen a lot of these rebuilds. It's that by year four, year five, it needs to click. When we're just talking about a seven, eight, nine-year rebuild, it's not happening. You're not going to win this. And the Reds are perilously close to getting to that range where, yeah, this didn't work. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? Hire an entire new pitching <laughs> development apparatus and move what you can. I mean, again, you know, maybe you give it one more year and you say, okay, we're going to give it one more year to see if Finnegan, Stevenson, and Reed can come back because you don't want to give up on guys who are in their mid-20s, especially pitchers. Sometimes it clicks later. Senzel comes up. You've locked up Suarez. Peraza's been surprisingly okay at short. You have Shebler in the outfield. Votto's still a potential Hall of Famer. I just, I think they do need to cut bait on Billy Hamilton. They probably need to cut bait on... You know, I mean, Scooter Jeanette's a really good player. Um, You know, if you can get something big for him, you might as well. But again, it's tough to trade guys for more pitching prospects when their development's going to stall and they get in your system. Yeah, and sooner or later, it might even be next year, I'm not sure, these guys are going to be out of minor league options. And therefore, their their minor league development is over. And let the sink or swim in the majors or be lost on waivers. It's a sketchy thought. But, I mean, you look at the Reds, you say, okay, sure. Tucker Barnhart, Scooter Jeanette, you know, potentially Shebler. There's always a need for left-handed power in the game. You know, those are all guys, you, you know, maybe you can move them, get some, get something back for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at Raciel Iglesias, who's on the disabled list now, but, again, that kind of, you know, high-octane bullpen arm that can that can bring you back something good in a trade. But, again, you know, it's, it's pretty limited. Yeah, but, you know, Maley and Castillo on the major league staff right now, Tyler Maley, Luis Castillo. I think these are probably the guys you would point to as probably the most talented arms they've had. And if these guys don't work, right now they have home run problems. It's it's potentially a function of that ballpark. Walk rates are also a little high, though. Yeah, they are. They are. Again, again, could be nibbling because of the ballpark. But I think those are the two guys I would point to. If, if in three years these guys are... In the same situation, Stevenson and Reed are in. Yikes. Yeah. No, I think I think the Reds are going to have to. There's going to be a moment of realization where they need to just open up and say, hey, this hasn't worked. We messed up. We need to fix our organizational problems. It can't just be yeah. another, all right, let's trade guys. Because you can trade for all the talent you want. If you can't properly develop the 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old prospects, because development is huge. I mean, 
raw talent can only take you so far. Mm-hmm. Past double A, that raw talent has to have developed into skill. And if you're making an honest appraisal of just the system in general, what they've done, when it comes to pitcher development, they have fallen short of that consistently for, again, going on a decade now. And I think that they need to be open and honest with themselves about that and make the appropriate adjustments. And again, you look at the Central, Cubs aren't going anywhere. The Pirates aren't going anywhere. I, this is, a, again, we talked about before the season, this was a better team. This was not a rebuilding team. This was a team that had more talent people were giving it credit for. Cardinals are never going to be a tanking team. They're always going to be competitive. And the Brewers are probably here to stay. All these guys are locked up. I mean, if you're the Reds, you need a complete fundamental turnaround of everything you're doing. Yeah. To Things change quickly in baseball. If the, if the Reds do get on the right track, we were saying the same things about the Brewers two or three years ago. But I don't think all is lost. But they do need to make some fundamental changes. I agree with you about that. And again, if they make the changes, awesome. It's just right now they need to – something does – something's got to give mm-hmm. in Cincinnati. All right, Matt. So before we wrap up, I do want to ha- ask you. What to you has been the most impressive or biggest or most surprising storyline of the first half? Or the, fir- the first third, I should say. We talked about the super teams in the American League, and I, and I would put the Cubs in the ver- on the verge of that group as well. One of the most other notable storyline to me is the mediocrity of the Indians. Sitting at 24 and 23 in a pretty weak American League Central. We talked about the Royals and White Sox being... Not competitive. The Tigers are not very competitive either. The Twins are under 500 at the moment. I would call them mediocre to above average on talent. But the Indians, two games in first place, one game over 500, and they're really getting production, or they're they're seeing they're feeling a a acute lack of production pretty much everywhere. But shortstop, second base, rotation. And Michael Brantley's healthy for the moment. It's it's interesting. It's almost been stars and scrubs in terms of performance. Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor have been MVP caliber. Michael yes. Brantley's franchise been players. Michael Brantley's been excellent again as healthy. The rotation's been okay, but the bullpen is second worst in baseball. Mm-hmm. Now I don't think it'll be sandwiched between Miami and Kansas City for long in terms of worst right. bullpens in baseball. But right. you're right. You're talking about you know Edwin Encarnacion has not been productive. Right. Jason Kipnis has not been productive. Mm-hmm. Maybe these guys will bounce back. These are also players hitting the upper ash, you know, they're getting into the older years of their careers. Right. You know, so you have a bad bullpen and a Stars and Scrubs offense. It's not a great outcome. And what really concerns me is they can't fix it by calling up minor leaguers or by trading those minor leaguers because their their top prospects are probably at an all-time low in terms of trade value. Francisco Mejia, their number one is playing left field as much as catcher in AAA, and he's not hitting. And some of the, and the reports on his catching have never been better than average or fringe. They're getting worse, too. I, I had a couple scout calls with what's happening in Columbus. Um, Indians fans aren't going to want to hear this, but the exact words were, he can't catch. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what you've heard for a while was scouts, you know, the values inside the, the organization be like, oh, you know, we, he can catch. We have faith. But it's never been a definitive. It's been a whole, whole get there. And outside, it's been a That's, lot more skeptical. And as he's getting up the minors and pitchers are getting better, it's become more and more apparent that yeah. there's some issues there. 
to be fair, you never hear major league front office people say, yeah, I don't think he can do that thing we're trying to develop him, <laughs> the role we're trying to develop him for. But uh, Tristan McKenzie, their number two, he's had the dreaded forearm injury all Although year. Although he is, he is pitching uh, in Arizona. He started his rehab, so, but... Okay. Again, anytime you have a top pitching prospect with a forearm strain who's working his way back, it's still you're right that that Scary. that the trade value is not what it's going to be. Bobby Bradley, not hitting particularly completely, well in Double A. Completely is he, is he regressed. The league? Completely regressed. So regressed. even even if you say we don't want to plug these guys into the major league team, you couldn't really even trade them for anybody right now of of significant value. You know, Yu Chang is is if you're you're kind of hoping maybe he's a Ledmus Diaz two point kind of that. You know, decent defender with some homers, but yeah. not really an everyday guy. You know, Shane Bieber's a good pitcher, but mm-hmm. again, I think that's probably a guy you keep as rotation depth. Right. It'll be interesting. I, I again. So where are you on the Indians? Oh, they'll win the division, but it might be eighty-two and eighty. Again, it's tough because, you know, again there are some injuries. Bradley Zimmer's on the DL. Tyler Naquin's on the DL. Um, Brandon Geyer is on the DL. Not that Brandon Geyer was hitting. Lonnie Chisinau is on the DL. So, so there are injuries here, and I'm never going to doubt a team that trots out a rotation of Corey Kluber, Carlos Carrasco, who by the way has been one of the more underrated pitchers in the last three or four years. Trevor Bauer looks like it's finally all clicked. Mike Clevenger is a stud. So you've got those top four. Yeah. You know, and even though I mean, look, Zach McAllister and Dan Otero have been really, really, really bad. These are good pitchers who will get better. To me, it screams a little bit small sample size. Mm-hmm. You know, for Andrew Miller had a, you know a bad a bad run a little while ago, and his walk rate's still high. He's also striking out fifteen per nine with a two six ERA. I, I think these guys will get better, and they'll the Indians will be good enough to win this division. Now, if I'm trotting their lineup out with you know four or five holes in it against Chris Sale in the ALDS or the Astros rotation in the ALDS, you're going to get swept. So, again, you're really banking on 31-year-old Yonder Alonso, 31-year-old Jason Kipnis, 35-year-old Edwin Encarnacion, all kind of finding a fountain of youth here in the second half, and we know that generally isn't what happens. Um, Bradley Zimmer can, can't really hit. He could never really hit. Maybe he gets better, but I think you have to get Tyler Naquin in there every day because, frankly, that's your, your better option. You can't have more holes in your lineup than you already do. I think the Indians, look, there are teams in Major League Baseball that are in worse spots than them. You know, Mejia and McKenzie are still good prospects in their own right who, you know, maybe they get turned around and still only may. You know, Mejia picks it up and McKenzie stays healthy. You still have, you know, anytime you have that rotation plus some of the star power they have plus a weak division. I still fully expect this team to win the division. It just might be 85 wins and three and out in the ALDS. Yeah, it surprises me they are where they are at this point in time. You know, I... Because you, you grant them these strengths that they have, which are significant strengths. And they're playing a weak schedule. You know, this this next series against the Astros is going to be very, very interesting. Not that a team's fate is ever decided on, you know, May 24th. It'll be interesting to watch just to see if they can, you know, if their pitching can keep them in it, and they stay competitive, and they get a few big hits... Or if they just get blown out of the water and you know held to you know held to one run three games in a row and it's their bullpen just completely collapses against the weight of the Astros offense, I think it'll be a very interesting telling series, um, and it'll let the Indians know okay this is where we really are, 
you know, the old adage is at about 50 games, you know who you really are. We're about that 50-game point. Mm-hmm. We'll find out soon enough. But the, the bright side of having deficiencies that are easy to identify are also easy to address. As, as, assuming you can... So if the Indians can start working some, some trades to improve their positions of weakness, they should be well on their way. It'll be interesting. All right, last thing before we wrap up here. A lot of talk about all the great young talent coursing through baseball. The easy rookie of the year right now, if we're doing a major league rookie of the year, is Shohei Otani. Mm -hmm. I think what's been so incredible is we all knew he could pitch, and he's absolutely done it. You know, pitching once a week, and his next start's getting pushed back. I think uh, Mm -hmm. the Angels are calling it workload management, so he's not going to pitch against Tanaka on uh, Sunday, which Ah. is... uh, Slightly disappointing from a fan perspective, but so be it. But it's just, you know, what he's done offensively has been impressive, doesn't cut it. For a guy who is also pitching once a week like a, you know, front-line front, front starter at 23, then also be, you know, slugging 308 with, uh, you know, you know leading all American League rookies in home runs to the left side and slugging, batting fifth. Slugging 508, what did you say? Uh, he's. I'm going to pull it up with the exact numbers right now. His slash lives, 308, 364, 582. Um, by the way, I mean, he's, you know, doubles. He had a triple. Six home <laughs> runs. He's, you know, getting he's on base. one for one in steals. He's had a hit in 19 of the 23 games he's hit. He uh, had the game-tying two-run single in the ninth inning in Toronto yesterday. You know, it's interesting. I, I think before the year, it was, you know, the Japanese Babe Ruth, the Japanese Babe Ruth. It was hyperbolic. It's really no longer hyperbole. I mean, he is literally doing things that have not been done since Babe Ruth in some scenarios. He became the first person since Babe Ruth to win a game one day and then homer in the next. Now, there have been, you know, say, oh, well, someone else has done it since then. Yes, Jack Owen in 1919 was able to uh, yeah. do what he did. We did see, you know, there was one interesting fact, which I didn't realize Fergie Jenkins was so good of a hitter, but uh, mm-hmm. Otani uh, came the first pitcher with uh, 25 strikeouts on the mound and four homers in a month. First since Fergie Jenkins in 1971. But we're still talking about things that haven't been done in almost 50 years. And I think at this point, you just have to enjoy you know, just how incredible it all is. He's truly unique. Um, for me, there's a lot of caveats because he hasn't navigated an entire season. He's right. pitching once a week. Right. Yes, right. He's, he's pitching he doesn't one, play the field. He's pitching once a week, and it's less than 100 plate appearances. He does, he does bat, but he doesn't play the field like Ruth did, or even like... And so, when you look at some of the great hitting pitchers, like the Wes Farrell or Ken Brett, they didn't have the DH available to them, so they could not bat for their teams without playing the field. Ken Brett did later in his career, but at the time the DH was introduced, he was in the National League. So, you know, we'll never know like if those guys could have approximated this value. Wes Farrell actually pretty much did. He had a 100 ops plus for his career. Definitely not too shabby. And look, Otani's at 157, and, and there's a lot of years ahead. I, I think what's so enticing is the fact, you know, he's 23. This is just the beginning. Yeah. Now, he, he's entirely unique and probably the most div- diversely talented player in baseball right now. I mean, it's crazy power. You know, and again, I think one of the other things that was so encouraging is how quickly he adjusted. The book on mm-hmm. him, we wrote about it, everyone talked about it. Bust him inside, hard stuff in, will be an issue at the end of spring training. And it was an issue. They identified it in spring training. And at the end of spring training, Eric Hinsky, the Angels hitting coach, went to him mm-hmm. and said, 
lose the leg kick, make it more of a toe tap, and voila, you know, he's got the bat speed, he's got the hand-eye coordination, all of a sudden he's on time, and that hard, hard fastball up and in, you know, again, that, the telling moment to me when it was, okay, that hole that was supposed to be there is no longer there, was actually when Brandon Maurer threw 97 up and in on him in Kansas City, Otani turned it around for a triple into the right center gap. A week later is when he hit the Luis Severino home run with 97 on his hands, and he pulled it over uh, the right field scoreboard in Anaheim. But it was that Maurer moment where you said, okay, that hole is gone. Mm-hmm. And if that hole is gone, look out, and we've seen it. You yeah, know, the yesterday Toronto tried to do him soft away, hit it up the middle for a game-tying two-run single in the ninth inning. And, and again, sitting fifth in a team, you know, contending for a playoff spot. I mean, it's big left-handed power and, oh, by the way, the pitching. But again, I, I think the one pitching once a week, now getting pushed back a little bit, the workload management, I'm going to be interested to see the effect it has on the Angels. I will say that they're in better position to absorb it because they have more arms this year than they've ever had before. Even with some of the injuries, Jaime Maria has come up and been excellent each time he's come up. Uh, we saw Jose Suarez just get bumped to AAA. Griffin Canning's in A. So th- there's a little, you know, we still have Nick Tropiano available. Parker Bridwell's still down there. Um, th- there's a little more pitching depth where the Angels can play with it a little bit. Now, obviously, yeah. in a perfect world, you would prefer to have Shohei Otani and his talent taking the ball every fifth day. Yeah, I don't uh, mean to criticize their management of him because they know better than I. I'm just saying that pitchers in the past were not <laughs> used in quite this fashion. That is very, very true. Well, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, again, we're still talking about we're less than 50 games in. A lot of baseballs left to be played, but I think there's been a lot of excitement early from you know the super teams to the we have both the race for 110 wins and the race for 110 losses on both sides of the spectrum from multiple teams. We've got a guy doing things we haven't seen in baseball for a long time in Shohei Otani. We've got really tight races already in the NL Central, the NL East. Um, it's got, in a way, the AL Central is a little tight, but for the wrong reasons. And the AL West, by the way, the Mariners are on pace to win 98 games. Wow. So, there's, so, so here's a question for you. Should Otani be playing right field instead of Cole Calhoun? Oh, boy. Let's say that you had an... I don't know if the Angels have an average hitter they could plug in at DH. Well, so it's interesting. Michael uh, Michael Hermosillo got right. called up, and he might be seeing a little more time in right field. In a, in a perfect fantasy world where there's no fatigue and there's no you know issues with that, then yeah, sure. But I think it's more important for the Angels to make sure he can be 100% on the mound. And if... Throwing him out in right field three, four days a week, you know, where he's where he's on his legs and he's, you know, especially as we get into summer. Again, it, it's it, it's tough, you know. Again, the Angels are up close; they know best. In a perfect world, you say yeah, but not at the expense of if it's gonna, you know, affect him on the mound. And if it is, then I don't think it's worth it. Hmm. How about you? Do you think he would take the field at all this year? Or do you think he's always going to be DH? Well, you got to remember, he hasn't taken the field since 2014. So there's also a very real possibility. And, and fly balls in the outfield is such a repetition thing. It's a very real possibility that after four years out of it, he might not be very good. You know, and say, you know, Cole Cohen's not hitting, but he's still playing gold glove right field defense. So yeah, I got to say, what shocked me about Otani, the hitting and the pitching is fantastic, but he gets down the line very, very fast. He's. What's the grade on his run? We had a 60 on it, and that's we. he's a plus runner. Everyone knew it, and he's might be a little more. You have a mix of 
yeah, long stride, incredible athlete. And, you know, he's a big boy too. I, you know, I was there in Anaheim when he came out and you see him in person and it's visible on TV too, that he's a big guy, but in person, this is a big physical athletic specimen. You talk about, you know, that, that quote unquote, perfect baseball body. Got it. Long limbs, strong, big strides, six, four. I mean, this is a heck of a baseball player, and, and kind of if you could chisel your fantasy baseball player, physically and skills wise, mm-hmm. it's him. Yeah, but we'll see. We'll see. I think that'll be an interesting storyline to see. You know how he holds up over the rest of the year. Because again, as incredible as it's been, it's less than a hundred abs. It's forty innings. There's a lot of season left to go, and I think that workload management is going to be critical for him as we move into june july august their road trip into texas and a lot of these very 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 hot places and all of a sudden you start losing your legs from the travel we'll find out but i know for me i never had a doubt he'd be an ace level pitcher i was a little more skeptical on the bat but like great hitters do he made an adjustment and that's a credit to him and that's all you can say at this point Mm -hmm. seconded All right, well, I think that'll do it uh, for this uh, Memorial Day weekend uh, baseball podcast. For Matt Eddy, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a safe trip wherever your travels may take you.